0: It was a very, very small number of people that were literally going to your local kind of, you know, burger joint or Chinese restaurant saying, Hey, you know, by the way, when you throw that fryer oil out, can I can I just come and pick it up? I'll give you a bucket. And, you know, literally collecting these buckets of five gallons of, of fryer oil in basements, you know, filtering it out and, and then pumping it directly into a car.
1: Hey, what's up everyone welcome back to going deep there in watson my guest today colin heiler is the founder of optimus technologies optimus is focused on implementing biodiesel into heavy trucking in this interview we talk about why that is so important he drops an absolutely mind-blowing fact about diesel versus electric vehicles as it pertains to environmental impact And we talk about some of his early experiments, including converting his Volkswagen into a vehicle that could run on vegetable oil. I learned so much in this conversation. I know you're going to as well. Here is Colin Heiler. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Colin, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to get a bunch of kind of basic definitions on the table, and then we can kind of jump into what you're doing. But this is an arena in which I am, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what, it's something below naive, just completely ignorant to, but I'm excited to learn a lot about it. And I was doing some research before I, I was going to speak with you here. Let's start off with just the definition of biodiesel and what the inputs are. Yeah, so
0: biodiesel is a renewable fuel. It's made from... Things like waste cooking oils from uh, restaurants, soybean oils, animal fats, pretty much any type of fat or oil can be made into biodiesel. And it goes through a chemical process to basically change the molecules of the oil into something that mostly resembles diesel fuel. But there are some challenges associated with it, and um, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, becomes a, a diesel substitute.
1: And something that I saw from your website, so I'm just regurgitating facts here, heavy-duty trucks make up about 5% of the total vehicles, but are responsible for 23% of the carbon dioxide emissions, and that has to, I'm guessing, mostly be attributable to the fact that they're burning diesel fuel and super heavy as opposed to cleaner or less intense fuels and lower weight vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. So class, uh, class eight
0: vehicles, which are what you'd kind of traditionally think of as a tractor trailer truck, um, you know, get somewhere on the order of a five to seven miles per gallon. Uh, you compare that to, you know, a passenger car that might be in the you know mid to high twenties, you know, depending on what you're, what you're doing might be in the low forties. Right. So, um, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, heavy-duty vehicle that's operating on a relatively kind of good duty cycle, Um, when you start to look at things like garbage trucks that are driving, you know, in communities every day, start and stop, those get closer to two miles per gallon. So, when you think about how much fuel they're using and what the emissions associated with that are, um, you know, it doesn't generally tend to click, but um, but it's a, a massive, massive contributor to uh, carbon emissions because of just the volume of fuel that they're using.
1: And so help people, I, I guess, contextualize diesel fuel specifically in the context of all the energy sources that are out there? Because, you know, I've seen Elon Musk say that all these trucks are going to be electric powered or other things like that. Like, why is it diesel <laughs> fuel that's so crucial here?
0: Yeah, so, um, so diesel fuel has been around... Um, You know, effectively, the diesel engine was was created in the 1800s, it has predominantly been the workhorse for the industrialized world because it's very energy efficient it's an energy dense uh liquid so you know similar to gasoline uh in that it, it's derived from crude oil but um but it has like it has a different uh it has a different profile in the um in terms of the actual the the fuel itself the, the liquid and so diesel engines are very robust they've got a lot of torque they've got a lot of horsepower so they're really good for heavy applications like you know agriculture construction um you know trucking things like that and it you know ultimately it boils down to a a function of uh, energy density so there's a lot of energy in a gallon of diesel fuel um that allows that piece of equipment to do a lot of work comparatively and so you know when you contextualize that with something like uh you know an ev uh in the heavy duty space um you know, batteries would would make up almost the entirety of the vehicle to have a similar type of power and performance and range, uh, you know, profile that that you have with a traditional diesel truck. And so that's why diesel has existed and kind of maintained its superiority as a as kind of the go to technology. But the challenge with that is it's very carbon intensive. It's a fossil fuel. And so, um, you know, what what we're doing and what biodiesel does is create a,
1: a renewable substitute for that liquid fuel. And so, this is this is where I'm definitely starting to <laughs> wade past my depths here. But part of the kind of framework for biodiesel being better, you referenced at the beginning, it's, it's you know, in some cases, reusing or using further stuff that was otherwise waste, which already sounds like we're in the sustainability, kind of pushing the vanguard forward. But the fact that it is comprised of uh, these biological, I mean, I mean fuel in its essence it starts as um, like dead, Organic matter from yep. way, way yeah, old times, millions of years ago. Yep. But the emissions are also less. In addition to the fact that we can continue to grow it, and we're not going to run out of, eventually theoretically we run out of petrol under the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think there's probably two two significant takeaways uh, in terms of you know looking at biodiesel from a from a fuel. Source and a, and a feedstock standpoint. So the the first is going back to that energy density. Uh, it's it's almost the it has almost the exact same energy as diesel. So okay. so you don't take a performance uh, hit when you're when you're using biodiesel. So that's that's one of the key things. You know when you look at a spectrum of alternative fuels, whether it's hydrogen or whether it's electric or um, you know natural gas or they ma- you can make renewable natural gas. There's you know there's a whole profile of options that are available but when you look at at hydrogen for example which is which you know in in theory and in concept has has a lot of promise there it 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 takes eight times the amount of hydrogen to do the same work as one gallon of diesel so uh so from an energy standpoint you know think about a, a fuel tank on on your car if you need something that was eight or nine times the size and one of the unique challenges with hydrogen it has to be stored Negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's a it's there's other challenges that go into it, um, but yeah. So so from an energy density standpoint, um, that's that's the first piece, and then from an emissions profile standpoint, uh, you had mentioned diesel. You know, it's derived from organic matter. That organic matter was around millions of years ago, so the carbon that's released is new to the atmosphere that's that's the whole problem yeah. you know that's a whole kind of climate change it's, challenge. It's, it's novel carbon as
1: opposed to carbon that's already kind of circulating at the surface of the earth. that's exactly
0: and and so the the technical terms between those two are anthropogenic which is fossil based and biogenic which is uh you know kind of uh organic based so so inputs for biodiesel come from carbon that's sequestered from the atmosphere today so you know you grow a soybean plant that soybean plant, through the growth process, sequesters carbon from the atmosphere into the plant, it makes the oil, and then as it gets consumed as biodiesel, it goes back into the atmosphere. So you're not actually offsetting, you're not upsetting the balance of, of carbon in the atmosphere when you're God. using biogenic sources com- compared to what you're doing, where you're kind of extracting and adding net new carbon into the atmosphere.
1: Gotcha. So. That was a really good preamble. (laughs) People should have a really good framework for what we're jumping into now. Your company, Optimus Technologies, has a couple of different product lines, including the installation of these biodiesel systems onto a truck so that it can operate on biodiesel as opposed to regular conventional diesel, and also the associated fuel uh, fuel stops that would actually allow people to fill up there. So just take us a little bit more into what Optimus is up to. Yeah. So so kind of briefly skimmed on it at the, at at the beginning. So
0: so biodiesel is used as a as a diesel substitute, but there are some challenges associated with it. So there it's it's not the same exact molecule as a as a traditional diesel fuel, and so. Um, the way the biodiesel has traditionally been used, it uh, gets blended in with diesel fuel. So if you've got a gallon of diesel fuel, biodiesel is commonly blended at 5%. So you take uh, biodiesel, it's still 95% traditional diesel, 5% biodiesel. Um, and that's a function of the fuel. It's a function of some of the engine technology. There's and and we see that with conventional vehicles where they'll have like ethanol mixed in with the, the fuel. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so on, on the ethanol side, you get, you know, generally the, the default is about 15%. And then, you know, and then you can go all the way up to vehicles that do run on 100% or, you know, uh, majority ethanol, um, you know, our technology bolts on to existing diesel engines and uh, eliminates the challenges that are associated with using 100% biodiesel. So you can displace 100% of that diesel fuel with biodiesel instead of going into a blending scenario um, by upgrading an engine with with our technology. Um, and so when we install, you know, our, our technology basically is it's a fuel system that goes on to the engine so an existing truck our te- our technology our system can can get upgraded onto that existing truck and it allows it to run either diesel or 100% biodiesel
1: and so and so the reason that would be attractive seems like it would be all the existing infrastructure, if diesel has been around since the late 1800s, (laughs) is going to be built and optimized for filling up these vehicles with diesel fuel. Biodiesel might not be as readily available, but if it is, and you can get it on the truck, and it's going to burn more cleanly, and maybe there's performance, or uh, not performance benefits, but uh, cost benefits to that versus the other fuel, then this truck is going to be able to manage both of those. That, that's that's
0: absolutely it, right? You're able to with with our system, you're able to leverage the existing infrastructure that's been built up over the past hundred years. Um, so it's a liquid fuel; it gets pumped, you know, in the same way that you pump traditional diesel. Um, you know, it's it's readily available. It's you know, for all intents and purposes, fungible into the into the supply stream. And so, um, you know, one of the one of the most common challenges. Doesn't matter what alternative fuel you're looking at, but one of the most common challenges is infrastructure. So with EVs, you've got you know a massive buildout that's required for the grid. With natural gas vehicles, you've got you know compressor stations and pipelines. Um, any alternative fuel technology that you're looking at, you, you typically have an associated challenge with infrastructure. One of the key advantages of biodiesel is that you can use existing infrastructure. So all of the investments that have already been made can be repurposed and can be
1: reutilized. So. Got it. And then, so the other part of the Optimus system, though, is the installation of the fuel stops too. So that's you know the proper storage of biodiesel and the ability to pump it into these different stations or add that to the existing stations. Just talk a little bit about that too. Yeah.
0: So we work. Uh, we work with partners that supply that infrastructure, and um, right now our. Customers are predominantly what's called return to base fleets. So if you think about a uh, garbage truck fleet, they're going out, they come back to the same location every day. Right. Uh, a lot of trucking operations uh, work in the same manner where you've got a distribution center. So you're going out to a distribution center, uh, you move product, and then you come back to that at the end of the day. So today our, our focus has been on uh, those type of operations and, and it enables us to make sure that, that that customer, that fleet has refueling at their kind of base of Operations and so we work with companies that provide that infrastructure to be able to, to, to supply them with the biodiesel fuel.
1: And so, can you give folks a sense of, of scale, accomplishment? Like, what 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 have you been up to? Where do things currently <laughs> stand in the micro with this company, and then in the macro with like biodiesels? Acceptance or utilization generally across these diesel-intense industries.
0: Yeah, so so biodiesel. I'll kind of start with the the last one and, and move backwards. So biodiesel has been around since the 1980s. Um, really only started kind of entering the commercial sphere in uh, the early 2000s. And and again, to to date, has been predominantly used as a blend with traditional diesel. And so um, when you when you look at that, you get some advantage of carbon reduction. But if you're only 5% of your fuel is biodiesel, then you're only getting really 5% of the the total benefits. And so that was where the concept for Optimus and the idea came about, where, you know, if we could make it easy, seamless, uh, you know, make it something that could just plug into an existing operation and allow fleets to run 100% biodiesel, then there'd be a pathway forward for that fuel to take off more more commercially. And so um, in the US today, there's about, two and a half, three billion gallons of biodiesel that gets used. Um, Most of that's being blended. And so, maybe for a point of reference, the U.S. Uh, you know the the commercial sector uses about forty billion gallons of diesel fuel. So, um, so it's so it's a on relatively a,
1: uh, annualized basis.
0: Sorry, yeah, on an annual basis, yeah. Um, so about forty billion gallons. Um, you know, last year ish. You know, it's been about uh, somewhere between two and three billion gallons of that were biodiesel. Um, so you know, definitely a small percentage, but growing. And, um, and then, you know, where, where Optimus fits into this, um, we, uh, you know, we're a startup technology company. We've been around for a couple of years now. We did, we did about 56 systems last year. We'll do about 150 this year and we're on track for roughly three to 400 next year. So, and
1: and does that work as, Hey, we send in our truck, you install the system for managing this and return it. And now we're able to incorporate this into yeah. So uh, so there's a couple ways that our product
0: gets uh, gets onto a truck. The first is retrofitting on existing trucks. And so in that sense, uh, or in that case, our engineers or our team would go on site with a customer. And actually, it's a relatively easy upgrade. It takes about two days. So we'll go on site with a customer, we'll add our technology to their trucks. And then, um, you know, and from from that point forward, then they can either run on biodiesel or traditional diesel um and uh and so that's one portion of it but more and more our focus and our strategy has been integrating our technology into a truck as it gets manufactured right you've got again that's
1: what i was going to guess because when i saw the installation piece i was like is it, the retrofitting is a kind of good stopgap. but eventually it's like we just want to be shipping this thing with the capability so that not only are you now working more as like a wholesaler but you don't have to then go interface with each individual.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely from a from a business and an operations standpoint, like completely changes the logistics and streamlines the the deployment and the scale up potential. You know, I'll I'll use an example of, of kind of how this typically works through with a customer. Our our largest customer to date is uh, Washington DC Department of Public Works. So their public works department has garbage trucks, they've got plow trucks and and they also have kind of water and sewer service vehicles, all very large, massive pieces of equipment, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per truck. Um, so we did a pilot project with them in, in 2018 when we released our, our commercial product. Uh, so 2018 was the first uh, commercial launch of of, of our technology. Uh, it was with DC Public Works on six refuse trucks, so garbage trucks that were um, you know operating already. These were trucks that you know they had already had in their fleet. So our team went on site. We upgraded six trucks. They put the system through the paces over the course of a year, did data collection, and then, um, and then have added additional trucks to their fleet, uh, both in a retrofit, as well as uh, they've made the decision that every new truck that they purchase is equipped with our system. So, so for them, you know, we were able to put, uh, put the technology on existing trucks in their fleet, they validated it, and then moving forward, when they buy a new truck, our system just comes uh, as, as the truck gets delivered, it comes integrated through that, through that build process.
1: So right before you got here, we're obviously recording in the Pittsburgh Technology Council offices. Audrey, who runs the the council, was kind of raving about you (laughs) and how long you've had a kind of passion and vision for this arena. So I kind of want to contextualize for people, and, and I'm not trying to cast dispersions against anyone else, but anytime you see you know the ESG trend, crypto, AI. These are things. There's a whole contingent of characters that I would call are tourists. They're kind of in in a like maybe this is for me. Ooh, this is hot. So therefore, I'll be involved. And you don't fit that bill at all. Your past company, uh, fossil free fuel. Very similar idea. Found it all the way back in two thousand five. With a similar eye towards this type of uh, transformation that the fuels that we use need to go through. Can you just kind of contextualize for people? I know that's a lot. We're going from 2005 founding to 2018 launch of this commercial product, 13 years, but the origins of your interest in this, why you've seemed to have committed your life to it.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's as I think most entrepreneurial journeys are maybe not necessarily a straightforward path, but, uh, but it's, it started, uh, you know, it started out of a, a just general interest in sustainability and in environmental conservation. Um, so, so, when I started, uh, when I started college, um, I was going to be commuting, uh, I live outside of Buffalo at the time. I was going to be commuting about an hour each way. So I was just looking, you know, looking for something to personally be accountable for, you know, that's a relatively large amount of driving, wanted to try and have as little of an environmental footprint as I could. So, you know, we're talking 2004, 2003 time frame, and, you know, EVs weren't really a thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot of options out there. And so at the time I, I, Uncovered this kind of very niche group of people that were running diesel engines on just actually just straight pure vegetable oil. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. It seems like, you know, possibly of, of interest, I had zero mechanical skills, uh, never worked on a car before in my life. And I bought a diesel Volkswagen Jetta and uh, bought this kit online and, and upgraded it to, to run this, uh, you know, Volkswagen Jetta on vegetable oil. And, you know, it was, it was more of a hobby at the time and, and just, just something I did out of curiosity and and thought, you know, you know, this is the thing I'll do to, to, to make, you know, change my impact. Yeah. And, uh, and through that process uncovered that, you know, didn't actually work the way it was supposed to. And there were a bunch of other challenges with it, but I was like, oh, well, like these challenges don't seem insurmountable. So, uh, slowly began this process of, of kind of, you know, tackling each one of the challenges as they, you know, came up in order of priority. And one thing led to another, a couple of people wrote, uh, you know, local news article stories about it. And, you know, just happened to spiral into this thing where people were reaching out. Well, there was a lot of people that had interest in it. And so, you know, I was like, Oh, well, I can solve this problem for other people too. Right. They're going to go down the same path. They're going to run into the same, same things rather than having them just, abandon the idea, like maybe let's give them a pathway to to provide something that, that might actually work. And so that was, um, on, on the passenger vehicle side, that was where, uh, that first company started, which was fossil free fuel. And it was very much focused on, you know, just individuals, you know, running their own personal vehicles and did that for a number of years. And, and, uh, 2010 spun Optimus out of that company with the kind of conversation that, you know, the impact we were having was, was, certainly, you know, there, but you look at a commercial truck, you know, average person uses maybe 500 gallons of fuel a year, average commercial truck uses maybe, you know, 15 to 20,000 gallons of of diesel fuel a year. So, you know, one unit of impact is, you know, orders of magnitude larger when you look at the commercial space. And so kind of had this idea that maybe the technology could just be ported over and you know what we found was eh, it really needed to be fundamentally revised and like torn apart and built up from the ground. And, and, uh, you know, at that time, I met Audrey around that time, I, I moved to Pittsburgh, I uh, started studying mechanical engineering at University of Pittsburgh, met some of the, the founding members of the team and some of our investors. And, and you know, it's just this whole journey and process. And, and, and it took us a, a number of years, we, we did kind of field trials early 2013 2014 maybe then went back to the drawing board started over and you know fixed everything that, that we realized was wrong and and got to a commercial product in in 2018 so a little bit uh you know certainly a long drawn out journey but all kind of from this initial thesis of you know personal accountability and then and then recognizing we could have not only a larger impact uh you know from an environmental sustainability standpoint but also massive opportunity for commercial uh, success if we could get it right, so.
1: And it also sounds like that initial company, maybe I'm wrong, but was was somewhat niche. The, The folks that were kind of doing this you know, back wherever they're experimenting on their their engines, very different than a commercial enterprise sale to a govern a local municipality or some other uh, commercial entity that's trying to integrate this. So that becomes then a business that is much more investable, much more uh, potentially scalable than the initial conception, which is par for the course. You know, we talk with so many entrepreneurs here. Your first business unless you're Zucks or something, and that actually wasn't even his first business, most people don't realize that, is not going to be like every, you know, fully realized potentiality. It's going to be getting your feet wet, running, you know, understand the basic patterns and then understanding how to level up. Yeah, no, I think, you
0: know, certainly an iterative process. And and yeah, to to kind of put in context what we were doing at the time, it was a very, very small number of people that were literally going to your local kind of, you know, burger joint or Chinese restaurant saying, Hey, you know, by the way, when you throw that fryer oil out, can I, can I just come and pick it up? I'll give you a bucket. And, you know, literally collecting these buckets of five gallons of, of fryer oil in basements, you know, filtering it out and, and then pumping it directly into a car. Right. When you look at that conceptually, massive amount of work, you know, it was, it, it was interesting, but it was a, it was a proof point And, you know, taking that, scaling it up to an industrial mechanism that that is investable that's commercialized um that's where we made the transition from you know using just straight vegetable oil which you know was its own thing to um to biodiesel which had a budding industry that that's derived from the vegetable oils that we were using anyways and uh and yeah idea foundry was our our first investor and one of the one of the criteria of that investment was all right you need to separate these two operations and and they have to have you know nothing to do with each other because one is fundamentally scalable the other is kind of a hobbyist like lifestyle you know interesting fun but not but not you know materially scalable right
2: the Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at PiperCreative.co.
1: And the other side of this, too, is I think that, you know, these days, tech gets all the headlines. And usually what people are referring to is software Um, or maybe some sort of like novel kind of hard a a smartphone or some novel piece of hardware but the reality is is that for most of the modern industrialized world energy has been the biggest sector with the biggest companies and it is pervasive just as just as we talked about you know the build out of this infrastructure it's you're talking about like maybe having to go somewhere novel for my you know natural gas hookup or to charge my ev battery no one has that concern when it comes to basic petrol for their vehicle because all of the infrastructure is only built out it's been built out for decades and decades and decades
0: yeah no that's i mean that's absolutely the case and you think about you know think about where industries are today and then put that in the lens of you know the same concerns that people have about you know building out alternative infrastructures were the same concerns that people had making that transition you know 100 years ago but but the benefit that we have is those investments have already been made let's leverage them let's let's you know utilize them to to make this transition. And one of the, you know, one of the most important things that we see on a daily basis, and I think this doesn't necessarily come across, you know, it maybe hits the media and hits the news headlines, but, um, but doesn't come across kind of in a digestible manner is that, you know, in order to fundamentally meet the carbon targets that, that we need to mitigate in some capacity, you know, climate change, carbon reductions have to happen now. And, and we all want this kind of silver bullet solution that that you know that might just absolutely eliminate carbon you know in in the atmosphere or something like that right so if you wait 10 years for that perfect absolute silver bullet which if you have any you know realistic perspective is never gonna you know not gonna be there there's gonna be good solutions and you know there's there's there needs to be a a plethora of them deployed um you know carbon in the atmosphere is additive so every Every kind of molecule of carbon that gets added today is still in the atmosphere in 10 years. So similar to, you know, kind of compounding interest in, in you know, finance, you, you actually you get a much larger uh, benefit by reducing, you know, a smaller amount of carbon today than you would, you know, a much, much larger car- amount of carbon later. And so, you know, I think that the the concept and the urgency to be able to do something tangible and do something at scale today is is so important and often gets overlooked with this idea of kind of chasing shiny objects and you know this this kind of quest for a perfect solution
1: so how else does that translate into your personal life you're obviously building a company that's very clearly aimed (laughs) at accomplishing this goal but basic life choices you you went you're tinkering with your vehicle i'm guessing you drive an ev now but like what other Maybe maybe you don't. What other stuff is going on?
0: Yeah, so 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 that's you know it's really it's really interesting. So I I don't drive an EV. I I, I drive a diesel, and and uh, in that I, that actually fits. In I'm sorry, that sorry. Sp- no no <laughs> no, no that's uh, but but I think that that's you know that's part of you know that's one of the one of the big challenges, right? Is that there's this this just kind of broad based assumption that that EV is uh, you know EV is this this great solution, and um, again, kind of not not this is the world that I live in you know breathe in every single day so it's so you know i think one of the things that's that's really interesting is as you follow it um you know i guess the the concept and the lurch towards ev in in my opinion has has been predicated on the idea that you know collectively we need to reduce carbon um and if you look i think it was uh volvo uh just released a study that you know They've got two models. One that's a diesel model, and one that's that's an EV. And if you look, it's actually seventy percent more energy intensive to manufacture an EV because you got batteries, you got rare earth metals, you've got all these things. The, the mining is a very big part of the, the EV thing. It's it's, it's totally crazy. Yeah, yeah, and and you've got supply you know supply chain challenges. You've got all this all this stuff that, when you look at it, actually ends up making a from a from a total carbon standpoint, it's it's a much worse option to deploy ev in its current form uh than it is to even just deploy diesel you know you get to let's look at other solutions and that's where biodiesel comes in where you know if you can reduce 80 or 90 percent of the of the emissions compared to diesel then you know biodiesel and that's that's part of what's driven us down the path we've we've been on um just to make sure i'm
1: getting uh, understand what you're saying clearly diesel not biodiesel is less energy intensive than ev than ev and you're talking about biodiesel with being better than, than diesel. diesel.
0: B- B- Biodiesel's 80 to 90 percent better than than diesel. But even just from that diesel baseline, if you you know if you did nothing, you're in in, in some cases in a better position than you are because the energy the energy intensity of manufacturing the EV. Um, You know is is such that that there's i think i think i think it was volvo's two or three weeks ago the study came out volkswagen did something similar it's actually you know it's like 50 to 70 percent more energy intensive in that manufacturing process and then all right let's take a step back so now you've got your manufacturing is more energy intensive and you know we're we're in western pennsylvania right we're in we're in coal country yeah. uh, natural gas right the the power that's going into that vehicle is still is still coming from a fossil fuel instead of you know instead of crude oil, it's natural gas or coal, but uh, you're still, the energy that's moving that vehicle down the road is still coming from a fossil fuel. So you're not, you're not actually mitigating carbon. And we're nowhere close to nuclear
1: power in terms of actually power the grid.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, I mean, I think that um, nuclear is its own thing, right? People, people have different feelings about it, but at the end of the day, nuclear is a carbon, you know, you have a, you have a zero carbon option, right? There's other risks and other factors that go into that, but yeah, we're 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 not anywhere close to to nuclear. You know, wind and solar have scaled up, but they're still you know a, a small fraction of the total grid. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's and, just and part not of their issue is,
1: is it's not steady state, right? With the wind and this in the solar Whoa. is that that's partially like you know, you need storage of it because it's not going to come with the kind of consistency and reliance of other potential sources, or is that a myth? Yeah, no, 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 no. I think, I think
0: that's, I think that's right. Stepping outside of my wheelhouse a little bit, but, but, but no, that that's definitely right. Right. So you have solar that obviously is, is productive, you know, during, during the day and you've got wind that ebbs and flows. Um, you know, I think you have a composition of, of different, you know, of different, uh, avenues to create renewable electricity and then and then at the end of the day you still do have that you have the energy storage issue you know the thing about um, traditional fuels coal natural gas um, you know diesel gets used for power generation as well um, is that they can be more steady and they can be more reliable I think you can get to that point with, with renewables and I think we're de- certainly on that track um, but that, that adds a layer of complexity
1: so. gotcha so the last thing I want to ask about that we can aim towards wrapping up here is just to be with a person who not only came across, started with the, I want to be responsible for my kind of impact on the environment. I want to take responsibility for it to the point that I will buy a kit and retrofit my vehicle in order <laughs> to run on, on vegetable oil and then see that through all the way to the business. When you were in those early stages of tinkering can you just take me more into like the psychological framework there? Because there's plenty of people that would like either buy the stuff and never actually see it through, or like, it's an experiment. It's like something I could tell you about, but it's not, okay, now I'm going to reorient my professional life to build this business towards this aim.
0: Yeah. So I, I dropped out of college at the time, <laughs> um, you know, was was down this path. And, and uh, you know, when I when I moved to Pittsburgh, I went to, to engineering school because I was like, oh, like now i you know i was now I was you had a wife young i was like yeah you know i was like oh, i don't want to like t- rack up all this debt and really don't have i was i was going to I was studying political science so i was like i don't i don't know really what i'm going to do with this you know i think that 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 was part of the part of the impetus was like oh this is this is something that like genuinely interests me it's engaging. It's really challenging. There's a lot of complex problems. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, at the time, right. I was, I was, you know, 18 years old. I, I don't know what really like drove me down that path of, of saying like, okay, let's dive head first in. And I think, you know, at some point there was like probably a, a larger decision. And then it was like a series of really small decisions. It was like, oh, well, you know, I could probably quit my job and like do this and, and, do it well enough to make, you know, to make ends meet and that'd be, you know, I could do it for a little bit and that'd be fun and you know I'll figure something else out. And it slowly, you know, just started to accumulate. You know, I don't think there was any, you know, for for me there hasn't there wasn't any like massive step change aside from when we made the pivot into commercial vehicles. You know, there there we've we've always been this very slow build up, you know. This is one of the really big challenges that like that hardware and specifically like climate tech hardware companies have is there's a very long tail on the development to get to commercial and then you launch and then it takes, you know, it takes a little bit of time to, you know, it's probably the best analogy is like a locomotive, right? It takes so much time for it to get churning and get, get up to speed. And then when it is, it's, you know, you just, you accelerate forward and you have a massive ramp and massive growth and, and just so much momentum. Um, but, you know, for, for climate tech companies, there's a, there's a big gap
1: in financing, there's a big gap in, you know, just, just commercializing. And so, From an outsider's perspective, the, the investing side and the general investing climate seems like it's as robust as as excited as it's ever been.
0: Yes. Yeah, I I'd, I'd say that that narrative today is is probably uh, is is probably true yeah. in the entirety of, of the time that we've been doing this. People are more excited today about uh, kind of solving uh, that and problem. And you
1: know that there's initiatives, you know, even for large corporates if they do have that kind of ESG framework, it's like okay, well, if we are actually going to reduce our net, I'm sure Volvo's putting out that report because one of our things is we would love to say that we reduced our carbon footprint by x as opposed to y. So let us like trust us when we go in this direction is part of the reason they would share a report like that yeah yeah
0: and i think that you know i think the one thing that's starting to emerge that's that's really impactful not only for our technology but across the board everybody who's kind of working on this in different verticals uh there's much more focus on transparency and trying to achieve some type of accountability for you know some 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 metrics so with corporations starting to publish their carbon data with corporations starting to like um you know post and and just make that data available in a wide variety of different verticals, whether it's, you know, whether it's about diversity and inclusion, or whether it's about, you know, carbon emissions, or, um, you know, energy use, or anything like that. Um, I think the thing that's that's helping at this point is that, you know, there's a a focus on it. The numbers are out there, people are starting to make commitments to as to what they're going to do. You know, the back end to that is, a lot of these commitments are 2025, 2030, 2040, right? Maintaining accountability over that time period is is really challenging. So, so that'll be the, yeah. the piece that I plays can make out, all right? sorts of promises. A- by absolutely, mean, I'll take 2040. Right? <laughs> and and so you know, so a net zero by 2040 target, although that's really you know helpful and it's ambitious. Um, the 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 roadway, you know, the map to getting there and the accountability across that sector. Um, you know, in that time frame is, is something that, um, you know, I think there's a ton of excitement about it. It's good. You know, I'd say half of it's probably just totally smoke and mirrors and half of it's, you know, truly well-intentioned and, and focusing on that half that's well-intentioned, like, you know, providing tools and, and strategies, uh, to help them actually get there. You know, I think that's, that's the thing, right? Everything is super complex and challenging. So, you know, people have to have a, a tangible pathway to get there. You hopeful. I am. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I think, I think genuinely more often than not, um, when people look at problems, whether they're, you know, in the sectors and verticals that I'm working in or others, you know, it's a matter of being able to provide appropriate tools and pathways. I think, you know, genuinely people, um, people are good and want to, want to, you know, uh, achieve, you know, a better result, but, um but I think when you know when we talked earlier you know you you'd said, all right, you know I've got <laughs> a sector dive of ten, you know you look at other verticals I've got a sector dive of zero right in terms of like scale and and learning and and knowledge the the thing is you have to make it you have to make it easy, you have to make it accessible to people i think like that's i
1: what. i have to, i i would be i I would be surprised if one out of ten people would suspect that diesel has a lower carbon footprint than an ev i, I absolutely I, I think that like just in terms of a a, a knowledge gap yeah that has to be that's one of the most yawning knowledge gaps i think a, a guest has ever shared with us
0: I, I think that um you know i think one of the one of the challenges there right is you've got you've got so much hype and you want like a clean easy sound bite the the, the thing that appeals to to people just broad-based and generally on an EV is you look at an EV and there's no emissions, right? right? Or, or like, you know, they're, they're tagged as no emissions. And, and the reality is it's, it's not, it's not that there's zero emissions. It's just, you're, you're moving the emissions outside of your you know peripheral. Right. And so, um, Yeah. And so so I think it doesn't get, it doesn't get talked about. It It doesn't get digested. Maybe this isn't
1: the right metaphor, but it's like, like, I don't think about like my blender having emissions when I plug it into the wall, like my (laughs) toaster or something. Right. So it's like, oh, now it's just going to be like my blender because I just like plugged it in the wall and it was good to go.
0: That, that, I mean, that's absolutely it. Right. You know, you think about, um, you have the option at your house to, uh, you know, to source only renewable electricity whether people opt into those programs or not, you know, takes an active, you know, takes an active decision, but until the time at which you subscribe to 100% you know renewable electricity, when you plug your blender in, right, there's a coal power plant out there somewhere that's that's churning out, you know, emissions for the power of that um, you know, the power of that unit. And so, you know, when you look at something at, on that scale and you look at at, at you know home emissions, right? energy efficiency just you know not using that um, that energy has such a large impact whether it's insulating or turning the lights off or you know all the all the basic stuff that, but um but yeah no that's exactly it yep Coal, coal-fired power plants you know run in hundreds of blenders at a time <laughs> there's
1: an image for you um this has been fantastic Colin. i really enjoyed speaking with you and I, I i know that we've already delivered at least one uh kind of aha moment to, to listeners anything else that you were hoping to share today that i just didn't give you the chance to
0: Um, no, I mean, I think we we had a, we had a kind of diverse conversation. I think that that's, that's super great. You know, I think that, um, yeah, the, the thing that, that I, that I'd say, you know, in that, in that kind of vein is think about, um, you know, think about the, you know, even if it's for five minutes, like, you know, what, what are the the things that come before that action that you just took, right? You got, we got your laptop plugged in here. Where's that power coming from? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's coming, it's coming from somewhere. It's not just instantaneous. And, um, you know, people take a step back and, you know, whether you want to make any meaningful change, you know, in, in that, or whether that, that, you know, aligns, but, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's, there's a cause and effect everywhere. And, and so, you know, even if it's just taking a step back and thinking about that for, you know, for five minutes like that, that really, you know, I think that can have a, you know, you get everybody to do
1: that, that has a massive impact. Yeah. Well, I like that because I, it's really kind of your approach. You, you did go to school, but you kind of originally came to it from first principles of just yep. seeing how the stuff worked and, and figuring it out for yourself. Um, I, I love that. I think that's a good challenge for everyone to take. If folks want to learn more about you, about Optimus Technologies, what digital coordinates can we provide for people so they can learn more?
0: Yeah. So um, absolutely uh, search for us on, on Twitter. We're at Optimus PGH. And then on LinkedIn, those are probably the two, the two platforms that, that we utilize most frequently. And, uh, yeah, we'd absolutely love, love folks to, to check us out there, visit our website. Uh, it's OptimusTec.com, O P T I M U S T E C.com. And, um, you know, we are focused on the commercial sector, but we do, you know, we do have folks that, that reach out and um, are just curious or interested, kind of similar journey or, or, or sharing a pathway to, to how I got engaged in this. And, you know, we do, um, we do what we can to help. So if, if we're not the, you know, if we're not the right resource, we'll try and plug you into one that is.
1: Right on. We're going to link all those in the show notes of this episode. com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show or in the podcast app, you're probably listening to this right now. Uh, before I let you go, Colin, if I guess that was your challenge. You want to hit them again with the, the personal challenges they can leave with?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, everybody, you know, if you want to take, take five minutes, just take a step back and, and kind of assess, you know, assess your, your personal energy balance. Right. And, and whether that's, uh, you know, let's, let's, again, let's, let's peel it back a little bit, right. The, the every single day delivery of Amazon, which I'm, absolutely totally guilty of i'm not i'm not i'm not kind of calling anybody out there uh especially this time of year right uh it but every every decision has an impact on the energy infrastructure and you know the the freight that's getting moved across the country the ships that are bottlenecked off the coast you know trying to get into the ports everything that's tied into this you know global logistics world all of that is you know powered by diesel fuel so um
1: so, what are some of the other actions? So, we talked about you drive a, a diesel vehicle. I just re my house. Um, you can, you know, try to have a garden in your backyard. You can maybe try to not uh, shop internationally so much. Shop local. What are some of the other things that you have put into practice after doing that type of consideration? Yeah. So,
0: um, so I think a, a very, very similar. You know, along those lines. Uh, you know, when I when I did my wife and I gutted and renovated our house. Everything that we did was, you know, if, if it made sense was in the you know, most energy efficient manner that, that we possibly could, we used recycled materials when we could, um, you know, you, you think about, and, and, and sorry, this is a total tangent, but, you know, you think about things that, that people don't necessarily generally think about, right? Um, drywall, it's made from gypsum and crushed up stone and is, is super, super carbon intensive. Oh, interesting. Um, so drywall, which is in absolute, I mean, that is like the standard. gold standard building material of choice today. Um, massive implications for, for carbon emissions globally. Um, so, so we actually, we sourced this product. I can't remember exactly what the name of it was, but basically, do you know what Tetra Pak is? I do not. Okay. So you've seen them. They're, they're everywhere. It's like this aluminized and plastic uh, container. So like soy milk comes in it, like soup comes in it, all sorts of, but anyways, it's, it's this paperboard like an aluminized container, generally not really recyclable. So there's this company that actually, they, they do recycle it. So they take in this waste stream, they shred it and they press it into what is a, a recycled drywall material. It's called rewall. There we go and uh and, yeah, and so when we did our when we did our house, um, we gutted it, we redid everything, spray foam insulation, you know energy intense or energy efficient windows, and then we used this uh, alternative drywall material it, it, it's challenging, it doesn't work exactly the same way as drywall does, but it's a, it's a finished kind of, you know, sheet, sheet good that goes into, into the house and has, you know, dramatically lower carbon footprint. So, you know, when we assess, you know, in our, in our family life, when we assess decisions that we can make that, you know, potentially have a a lower carbon footprint, we, we try and do that. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, that, that, that project was, was in and of itself like a total project. And understand that not everyone's going to want to do that or have the skill sets or, or otherwise to, d- to dive in. You guys but did that before you had kids. We definitely did that before we had kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, – it's uh, and we, we made it 90% of the way there before we had
1: kids. I'll say that. I can tell you I a lot of those choices like the Amazon packages. A lot more convenient once you have kids and you're like, oh, we didn't get a gift for that person need it in two days
0: (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah i think you know and that and that's uh you know to, to maybe yeah to maybe tie that back in right like the the truck that goes to my house Comes from a distribution center. The distribution center gets goods from, you know, the warehouse. The warehouse gets goods from the port, right? All, all along that value chain, everything that's required in that process. And because of the convenience of it, um, you know, we send, you know, whatever it is, 20% of it back, and a good portion of that stuff just ends up getting thrown away, right? So you have all the emissions to and from, and then it just gets discarded. So um, just thinking, you know, about your
1: personal impact. But those distribution center trucks should be they, running on biodiesel they, they should be running on biodiesel yeah that's a callback that, that folks. Is, there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh colin thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really perfect enjoyed yeah talking thanks for having me we just went deep with colin heiler Hopefully, from out there it has a fantastic day Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Colin. If you enjoyed it and learned something, you will also learn something from my past conversation with Chetan Murichley. He is the CEO and co-founder of Locomation, which helps implement autonomous driving into heavy trucking. They do this by having an autonomous truck follow one with a human driver, which creates all sorts of efficiency and also positive environmental impacts. He gets deep in the weeds on how he's sold the product to all sorts of different stakeholders. I loved it. You will as well. Go check out that interview and hit subscribe because we've got some fantastic interviews coming real soon.
2: Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.
1: listen to the going deep podcast and aren't subscribed to the YouTube channel
2: you're making a mistake if you listen to the going deep podcast and aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel you're making a mistake if you listen to the going deep podcast and aren't subscribed to the YouTube channel you're making a mistake if you listen to the going deep podcast If you listen to the Going Deep podcast and aren't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you're making a mistake. More than 10,000 subscribers watch full-length videos of these interviews and... ...videos on the biggest business transactions of the day? Yep. Okay. More than 10,000 subscribers watch full-length videos of these interviews as well as... Fuck! More than 10,000 subscribers watch video versions of, of- these interviews, yes. More than 10,000 subscribers watch video versions of these interviews and business breakdowns of companies like Coinbase. Great. Business breakdowns of Morning Brew, Coinbase, and... Business breakdowns of Morning Brew, Coinbase, and uh, Rivian. Business breakdowns of companies like Coinbase, Morning Brew, and Rivian. I'll try to get it all together. More than 10,000 people, wait, more than 10,000 subscribers watch video versions of these interviews and business breakdowns of companies like Coinbase, Morning Brew, and Rivian. Uh, and, Mr. Beast's burger company. and Mr. Beast Burger Company. Sale. Coinbase, Morning Brew, and Mr. Beast Burger Company. That's a mouthful. Coinbase, Coinbase Morning Brew, and Mr. Beast Burger Company. Anything else? Should I try to get it in one swoop? Okay. More than 10,000 subscribers. Wait. Yeah. More than 10,000 subscribers watch video versions of these interviews and business breakdowns of companies like Coinbase, Morning Brew, and Mr. Beast Burger Company. Go subscribe now as we march towards 50,000 subscribers. Sweet. Any other sign-offs? Go subscribe now and watch your business brain expand. Go subscribe now and grow your business brain. Go open YouTube right now and subscribe to the channel. Go open YouTube right now and subscribe to the channel.